psychological freedom is the result of knowing God in a very practical way. So that unless we become actually consciously aware of the presence of God, because when you when you become consciously aware of the presence of God in the form that Swami Dayananda means it, what happens is you change as a person. You find yourself being composed. In other words, you're not dis disturbed. You find yourself being free because you're not being determined. But most importantly, you find yourself being at home with yourself as you are. And this is extremely important because all of the psychological difficulties that we have uh, is a feeling of self-dissatisfaction. I hate being what I'm like. So if right here, right now, as I am, I can be at home with myself, I'm then lifted out of every form of self-dissatisfaction, aren't I? But this feeling of home with yourself you can, you can only feel at home with yourself when you're being at home in God. Swami Dayananda was a, a Gita scholar. And what he did was he unfolded the psychology of the Gita in a way that Western people like me could understand it, if you like, and in such a way that it was unbelievably re relevant <clears throat> and so i i went to india to to study uh, swami dayananda's psychology specifically because i'd read his articles and all of that stuff i'd emailed him and asked him questions and i just thought i got to get i've just got to get in front of this person and so i studied his psychology that, that's what i would say um for about 14 months and uh, when i left india i then I then put, I kind of, from what I'd learned from him, I then developed a method of psychotherapy and life coaching based on his work. But if you can understand, his understanding of psychology was completely imbued and it has its roots in the Bhagavad Gita. So I'm not going to be talking about the Bhagavad Gita as such, but I am talking about the Bhagavad Gita the uh, the meaning of it the that he so clearly and eloquently expressed and so i think the first thing we, in order to understand swami dayananda uh in the right way we we need to see the context of what he what he what what was he teaching what he was teaching was the discovery of what it means to be free while living so when and when I say be free, I don't mean, I don't mean, um, uh, I don't mean as an idea. I mean that a way of being in the world, in the, in the very world itself, where you are being free while you are functioning, while you are living your life, while you're relating to other people, while you're engaged in work, all of this sort of thing. So when we talk about when we talk about being free while living, uh, his whole psychology was actually built around the discovery of what this freedom is, first of all, and then the then he the, what she called the wisdom. So to actually discover what freedom is, he would call that discovery wisdom. And then he said, 
you have to live this wisdom. So it wasn't learning information and then applying it. It was more like an understanding comes alive in you as to what being free means. And then you live this freedom. And so uh, I, I had, before Swami Dayananda, I'd done a lot of psychological studies. And what struck me about him was he was truly brilliant psychologically, which surprised me because he's a monk. I mean, not that I didn't know much about monks and I didn't, I didn't know much about Hinduism. And all I, all, I knew, all I knew was that when I read the articles that he wrote, it, it, was, it was just so impressive and, and it was so extraordinarily clear. So what I want to do, first of all, is, is let's, what we're going to do is, first of all, see clearly what freedom isn't so that we can really clearly see what, what freedom would be. So we start with the fact that at any one moment, we are always facing the world. We are facing happenings in the universe. And so, and so we have the presence of reality in the form of this universe, and this universe is functioning. Things are happening. Things are coming and going. In the, in the, the word presence in Latin means press. The beginning one means in front of. Essay, what's existing in front of us. So we're always, as a human being, as an individual living in the world, we are looking at and facing the universe. Now, so we're facing, we're always facing a certain experience. And Swami Dayananda, um, I clarified that we're always facing four kinds of experience at any one moment. And the first kind of experience is experiences that we like. So whatever, whenever we're facing something, we, the experiences that we like, we might really like it intensely or, or, or just mildly, but we can say that, yes, I'm having an experience now and I like it. And then occasionally, not often, we have an experience that's more than what we like. And then we're really pleased, right? And then we have experiences that we that that um, are less than what we like, and then we have experiences that are opposite to what we like. And so this is this is these experiences are always going to happen. We 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 can't we can't control these experiences. These experiences, whether we like it or not, are always happening. And because we uh, are human beings and we're living in the world, the functional world, and we, we're living with a body and a mind, it's, it's in terms of the functional living, functional living has limitations. We can't, we, we, even though we try to make sure that we get as many experiences that we like that is possible, we're never going to succeed at it. And our destiny as a mind-sense-body complex is old age, sickness, and death. That's also unavoidable. So we're always facing these experiences. And not, even, no religion, no spiritual teaching, uh, and this is where Swami Dayananda was so practical, 
no spiritual teaching is ever going to change this. So we're always going to be experiencing experiences we like, more than what we like, less than what we like, and opposite to what we like. So we're all clear on that so far? Okay, this is what we're doing. Now, but what happens is, psychologically, is that, let's say, for example, someone says something that you don't like. Now, who, who of the people I'm talking to, some will be married, right? Now, Swami Dayananda said an interesting thing. He, he said, Yo, come, marriage is yoga. And what he meant here is that with your spouse, have you noticed that your spouse often says and does things that you don't like? Of course they do. And what happens is, and so, and sometimes they do the opposite to what you like. But this is a reality that's going to happen to you for the rest of your life. The problem is, is this, is that when we're facing an experience that we don't like or opposite to what we like, we find ourselves becoming upset or annoyed or unhappy about it. Who's ever experienced that? So what happens is, something happens we don't like that's the cause and then at the effect i feel i'm a, i feel i feel uh, rotten i feel bad the problem with that is is it means that the experience that i'm facing is causing me to be unhappy that's the experience so that that experience is causing me to be unhappy or that that experience is causing me to be really unhappy but the next moment your spouse says something or does something that you like, now you're happy. So what happens is as these experiences that are happening in front of us are changing, we find we change with them. We chop and change all of the time in the face of these experiences. Is that quite real so far? Okay, we're all tracking here. Now, this is what Freud meant by being determined. You see, if the way I am being in the world, the way I'm actually being is being determined by something external to me, am I being free? I'm not, am I? I'm like, I'm like a puppeteer. Like the, the, the four categories of experiences are like a, 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 a puppeteer. And in relation to those four experiences, I have experiences of ego satisfaction, feeling good about myself, and I have ego and I have experiences of ego dissatisfaction. I'm feeling unhappy about myself. And so you notice that there's no sameness, is there? When we, there's no sameness, we're, we're one thing one moment, we're another thing the next moment, and we're another thing the next moment. And it seems very clearly, it seems anyway, and it's, and it's only a seems, by the way, it seems to be that the world is either making me happy or the world is making me unhappy. So when people are nice or when things are going the way I want, which Swami Dayananda says is never possible. Mostly it's going to be not the way you want. He's not, and he's not denying wanting things, by the way. He's, he, wasn't a, he wasn't 
he didn't deny psychological reality for spiritual reasons, which sometimes sometimes spiritual people tend to do. He was extremely realistic. So here we are, we're facing these experiences. And what happens is we have this very empowering belief that the world can give us happiness and the world can take it away. And it, it doesn't matter what we think philosophically or spiritually speaking, we can have, the, have, a, have an idea, for example, I'm consciousness, well, that's nice. And the next moment, your wife says something you don't like, and you're upset. So the fact of the matter is, is that the reality of unfreedom, of, of being determined uh, by external things, external to us, I include external to us, our thoughts and feelings. Who here has ever been upset about the thoughts and feelings they have? So I'm unhappy about that. So again, because our thoughts and feelings are, are, are part of the universe. That was one of the great things that Swami Dayananda taught me. I always used to think, because I was a good Westerner, I've got my inside my mind and the outside is the universe. But Swami Dayananda said, no, 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 no. You're always looking at this functioning universe, which is operating perfectly in keeping with the intelligent arrangement it is. Can't help it. And part of that arrangement is, of that functioning universe, is the thoughts and feelings that I have. Okay, they're not so-called mine, you know, and, and they're outside my hands. Like I, what reactions I have, having reactions is normal for human beings. That's not going to go away. What can go away is when we become the reactions, when we become the psychological reactions. So there's a difference between me being aware of reactions. My wife has said something I don't like and I want to wring her neck. That's just a reaction. That's it. That's all it is. However, if I dramatize that reaction, I've become the reaction, haven't I? I've become the reaction. And the problem is, and I can become the reaction in a positive sense too. Someone comes along and says, you know, my goodness, you're just such a wonderful person. I've never met anyone like you. Really? Do you think I'm like that? Do you? Oh, really? Okay. So that feeling of delicious ego inflation, again, is just as much a slavery. And it's and it's not it's not necessarily true. Let's say I'm playing tennis and I do a very good shot, and then I go, my God, it is it is right and proper, is it not, to feel satisfaction when you do something functionally quite skillful? We get a reward from nature when we do that. But if I take it further, I go, I did such a good shot. I'm one, I've won the game. Therefore, I'm a superior human being. And I'm feeling good about myself. That's quite delusional as far as Swami Dayananda is concerned. Any, in fact, any notion I have of myself, he considered delusional, whether it's positive or negative. And so what happens is we have this situation where we're on the spectrum of ego inflation and ego deflation all of the time. And in and our culture, particularly in the West, not so much in India, I don't think, but we have the strange notion that ego satisfaction is happiness. That feeling good about myself is happiness, is, is, is happiness. This is the biggest delusion that you would ever imagine. And this is actually foisted on people by modern psychological thinking. They call it self-esteem. Now, the thing is that, so we, we, so we have a situation where 
we're facing circumstances and what happens is we become identified with the reaction so it's natural to have a reaction are we all clear on that it's natural to have a reaction for example if a car is coming towards me i'll feel fearful fear is very good because it's going to move me isn't it to uh, to avoid getting hurt because as human beings we're moved and so the idea of not the, the idea is is not to try and i don't want to be moved by anything you can't help but be moved so and in vedic psychology as unfolded by swami dayananda has four strivings in other words it actually completely gives this total picture of what moves us as human beings and the first one is survival and this is a very good it's very good to be moved by security by by make because what happens is um if a car comes towards me or if i suddenly see something could endanger my life or my security of my wife or my family or myself i will feel moved to do something about it how wonderful is that so this is a very good thing and it's really interesting the psychology of the gita is actually as swami dayananda says the psychology of desire which is what i found very interesting about freud that was also the psychology of desire but freud only dealt with the first two strivings he had no idea that the top two so you have the first striving that moves us as human beings which is the striving for security the next striving we have is the says the striving for pleasure very useful striving if you don't have like for example if someone is talking to you in a a horrible way or they're acting unpleasantly it's actually a very good thing to to actually have the tendency to want to move away that's very self protecting isn't it you know what i mean or when we associate with good friends it's a, it it brings about a a wonderful pleasure doesn't it so pleasure helps us again negotiate our functional life all right so you got security and pleasure freud never went our psychologists hardly ever go beyond this actually in in the west we just simply they deal with security and pleasure some of them will say what the meaning of life is is to get as many kicks before you can cock it you know work out how to be happy you know what I mean feel good right so that's fine but uh, it's uh it's it's very it's a very impoverished view it's called hedonism philosophically now the vedic psychology goes one step further and this and this psychology the, the next striving belongs to ourselves not as a a you know you know our, our ego our ego satisfaction and dissatisfaction that comes and goes right they up in that's our psychology but so there there is us as personality so in the world we exist as a personality that has been formed by past experiences there's no doubt about that but there's another aspect to us which swami dayananda calls the basic simple person the the basic conscious person and what he would do when he taught by the way he would actually evoke that person so what happens is I've got a lot of thoughts in my mind, judgments of past experiences of what's true and what's right and all of that stuff and what's happened and what life is and what I'm like and what other people are and all that. They are judgments and what happens is they keep on coming into operation. So the past psychologically is dominating me. But when I become a simple conscious person, which I do when I'm actually listening, 
when I'm actually listening, all of those judgments are set and held in suspension. And I, I become a simple conscious person able to be able to, to listen and to be able to see what's true and what's not true and all of this sort of stuff. And from that, the basic striving of you as a simple conscious person, Swami Dayananda says, is love and care. Okay? And what he meant by love is acceptance. That we actually love to be in harmony with what is. He meant by love accepting. Have you noticed that when you, when you are being accepting, uh, and if you study the Gita, they talk about graceful acceptance. That's what they mean. by. So when you are being accepting, who's noticed here that you're kind, don't you? When you're accepting, you're kind. You feel kind. You're being moved by kindness. To the degree you fall away from love or acceptance, you become hostile. Have you noticed that? <laughs> you, know, like, you know, when you say an unkind thing to your spouse, you notice how the sort of, it gets a little bit tough, a bit hard. The, the softness goes, doesn't it? So we have a striving to be loving and we have a striving to take care, to care for ourselves and other people. And we know this because what happens when we violate when we stop being loving or caring, we feel a sense of remorse and guilt, don't we? No, not guilt, remorse and regret, don't we? Because we have this striving. Now, in the West, we don't look, and psychology doesn't look at the, the ethical strivings. They don't have that really as a concept. They, that was split off a long time ago. But what Swami Dayananda would say is that, that real happiness comes through living in accordance with these two core strivings. This is, not the this is not a happiness of ego satisfaction. This is a happiness of living rightly and harmoniously uh, with ourselves and other people. And so you can't, this is living happily in the real sense of the word. So how can you be happy if you're not living happily? You can't. And this is the real meaning of happiness that he outlined. And he called it, you'll be familiar with this, he called it a life of Dharma. So where, we, where we, we relate to other people and things and so that we're not harmful, we're accepted, we're kind, and also that we're caring. And that's the third striving. And that striving moves us. In fact, he would say that when we actually want to be loving and be caring, he'd say we're emotionally mature. Because then we... we it's not, there's not a split between we, you know how we can be caught up. We don't really necessarily want to do what's right, but we do it anyway, or we don't do it. He'd say that emotional maturity is when I am moved by love and care, I am emotionally mature. I'm still being moved. It's not, so no such thing as not being moved. I'm, I'm being moved, but I'm now being moved by Dharma. And he would say that God is present in the heart of a human being as Dharma. That's how he would, he would put it. And lastly, we have a longing, which is universally denied in the West, and this is the longing for God. Now we have a we have a we have a saint way back in the fourth century by the name of Augustine. I'm not going to go into his theology because it was a bit twisted, but he did he said a beautiful prayer. He says, Thou hast made us for yourself, O Lord, until uh, you hast made us for yourself, O Lord, and we are restless until we rest in thee. And this is the longing, this is the longing for God. This is the longing where we, we have an interest in this whole idea of being at home, 
finding our real home. And religion in Latin means re mean again and ligare to tie, to tie back to our source. So this longing for God comes from God. And this is only satisfied when we come to know and appreciate God. Okay, so these are the, uh, Dr. Freud hated the idea of this. He, <laughs> because he was restricted to only security and pleasure. But it's very interesting, his own theory, he said that when people have such a strong objection to something, it normally indicates a hidden attraction. And the thing is that, have you ever met and very antagonistic atheists. Who's ever met antagonistic atheists? Do you mean who assert atheism? You know, that there's no God and it's ridiculous and all that. This is because whether they like it or not, these four strivings are in every human being. And if you, if you deny any of these strivings, you cannot live a full, a psychologically full life. And so the whole point is that here I am, I'm facing the world and things are happening. And normally speaking, I'm not necessarily living as a simple conscious person. I am living in, I'm living in what Swami Dayananda calls personality. I'm, I'm being a personality, a happy personality, feeling good about myself, or a unhappy personality, feeling bad about myself. And when you look at when we look at when we say look at we look at uh, what we mean by feeling good about myself, it's two things. I have a self that I'm happy about. You see how there's two things of the dualism, isn't there? I am happy about myself, or I am unhappy about myself. This so this dualism is what in Vedanta they call self-objectification. In other words, I have an object in my mind that I take to be me. So my idea of myself, I take to be me. What Swami Dayananda would say, there's a big difference between having a self and being yourself. Having a self is something you can objectify, think about, all of that. But when you're being a simple conscious person, there's no self-objectification. You can only be a simple conscious person. And so the thing... So when we're talking about psychological freedom in what Swami Dayananda would say, if, if you're familiar with the Gita, they talk about that the practice of yoga is sameness. Are you all familiar with that? Sameness. Being able to remain. Swami Dayananda's definition of, of yoga was sameness. So if I can remain the same, in other words, I'm not chopping and changing because of what's happening in front of me, I begin to see what freedom really is. Does that make sense? So if I can, if I, and that doesn't mean not having reactions. My wife is saying something I don't like. I'm aware of what she's saying. I'm aware of the fact that I'm annoyed. But the fact of the matter is I don't, I don't, I don't, it doesn't cause me how, it doesn't determine how I see or how I'm acting. Does that, you see how that makes me free? If it doesn't determine how I see and how I act, I am being free in the face of that experience. The freedom he unfolded was extraordinarily practi practical. There was no, I have never met a psychological thinker like Swami Dayananda, ever. I think he's one of the most brilliant minds, not only, not only from India, but psychologically uh, 
because of the way he articulated the problem. And so, and I'll just say one last thing before we go on. Because he, he never, he understood that psychological freedom is the result of knowing God in a very practical way. So that unless we become actually consciously aware of the presence of God, because when you, when you become consciously aware of the presence of God in the form that Swami Dayananda means it, what happens is you change as a person. You find yourself being composed. In other words, you're not dis disturbed. You find yourself being free because you're not being determined. But most importantly, you find yourself being at home with yourself as you are. And this is extremely important because all of the psychological difficulties that we have uh, is a feeling of self-dissatisfaction. I hate being what I'm like. So if right here, right now, as I am, I can be at home with myself, I'm then lifted out of every form of self-dissatisfaction, aren't I? But this feeling of home with yourself you can, you can only feel at home with yourself when you're being at home in God. Does that make sense? So it, it wasn't a, like a, in the West, we've got this real real thing of, you know, I'm going to love myself. I'm, gonna, I'm going to accept myself. I, 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 I. What Swami Dayananda talks about is that this graceful acceptance comes from, is born out of our understanding of, of the appreciation of the presence of God. So it, it's, it's basically a way of being that is given to us by God, in a sense. Does that make sense? And it's not, and it lifts us out of all of our psychology, all of that egoic psychology of feeling good about myself and feeling bad about myself. You could say that, you know how in you Hindus you talk about um, Krishna being joy. You know the Lord Krishna is being joy. When our hearts are full of joy, joy doesn't mean ego satisfaction. It means it's 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 being being at peace and it has a quiet quality, it, and it's not loud, but it's deeply meaningful. So that's um, I think that by way of introduction, that's uh, I think that's where we'll end. There is a very thin line between self-love, self-appreciation, and mm -hmm. um, an ego, egoistical self-esteem. What we call in, uh, you know, in the usual terms, like uh, you go out shopping or you get a pedicure, it mm -hmm. raises your self-esteem, or a good mm -hmm. car or a new job or more money, mm -hmm. of course, mm -hmm. raises your self-esteem. But uh, which may not be such a good thing, according to you. But well, well, it's it just is, a thing that it's just a thing that happens. Hmm. Yeah, but and 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 at the same time, they say that if you don't love yourself, like um, there is this certain neediness or uh, unwholesomeness well, okay. about it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That, now that's a very good distinction. Now Swami Dayananda has a magnificent understanding of what he means by self-acceptance. This is going to this will blow your mind. Normally in the West what happens is self-acceptance means I make myself into an object. I'm looking at myself and I go, okay, I've got my good points. I've got my bad points, but basically I'm okay. So I, I, so what I'm doing is I'm creating a picture of an object, myself as an object, and then I'm telling myself that this object is okay. 
But for Swami Dayananda, self-acceptance is, if I am with myself as I am, without resistance, I am being self-accepting. Being the acceptance. Does that make sense? So the thing is, it's not that I look at myself as an object and give myself a pat on the back. It is right here, right now, as I am, I am being with myself as I am, and I am remaining with that without any resistance. And he would say that that is being yourself as well as being self-accepting. And that's where he's different from Western psychology. And he would say that that is absolutely important. We need to learn to be able to be with ourselves and be be uh, to be able to appreciate ourselves without resistance and actually uh, have no objection to that. Does that make sense? And that frees us from all the forms of self dissatisfaction. And if and in that self acceptance, there is a sense of fullness that frees us from dependence upon other people and things for our happiness. Yes. Good morning. Uh, the question is that a human being is designed to have emotions, emotions yeah. for appraisal, emotions for criticism, and to react accordingly. Mm -hmm. If you are saying that, uh, you know, like uh, the happiness does not come from the self-praise um, self, uh, or some criticism, you have to cut it off from that emotion to be, be within yourself. It's a very difficult task. I mean, how can you check? The, how do you? How do? You, how can you stop the emotions coming inside you? Okay, yeah. Naturally, mm -hmm. and if you go against the nature, you have to draw a line and all the time be conscious where to react, where not to react, and be within yourself. That calls for a kind of you know, like all the time you are kind of you know very tense, analyzing every moment of time every interaction to be judgmental whether to react or not to react this is what we are saying and if that is the kind of helpless source of happiness then it is uh, to my mind it gives you more tension and it, it doesn't make you natural so what do you say okay now i, I have to now exp i have to now uh go into what Swami Dayananda means by growing emotionally, emotional growth, emotional maturity, all right? So I'll explain how that works. First of all, it's a process. Now, first of all, what Swami Dayananda says is this, is that we, you would agree that in many ways, human beings are a psychological product. In other words, their social, their their personality has been molded by past events, and these past events um, form the type of person you take yourself to be, uh, and the the sense of yourself. Right now, what happens is the first thing that Swami Dayananda says that you have to start to look at is that with your examining mind. In other words. You can see that when you go quiet and you really start to ponder, for example, if I'm working with a client and they are constantly having arguments with their wife, right? Because I work, I work mainly with young men, okay? So here they are, they, they're having arguments with, your, with their wife. Now, as you say, 
if they, if they restrain the dramatization, they feel bad. And if they dramatize, they feel bad. It's like there's no, there's, there's no, uh, there's no, so, so if they don't do it, they feel bad. And if they do, do dramatize, they feel bad. Obviously, that's not going to solve the problem, is it? Right? It's not, and it's not natural. Now, what Swami Dayananda says is this. Here you are, you're examining the fact, he talks about that we have to discover what is truly good. So the first, the basis of changing human beings is knowledge, understanding. So if I really, if I, if I have an examining learning mind, as he called it, and I'm, I'm saying now, okay, even though I feel like wringing my wife's neck a lot, what I'm going to do is I can see that living happily and harmoniously and cooperatively with my wife is a good thing. Okay, so even though I've got a background and I've got psychological impulses, me as a conscious person can, can, can recognize the, the true value of living happily, peacefully, and cooperatively with my wife, even if I don't quite know how to do that yet. Are we clear on that so far? Because it's, we, we can't help but will what we want, what we, what we think is good. So if I, if I, using my faculty of awareness and discrimination, say, you know, this would be really good. This, this is the good way to live. Now, that recognition comes from the heart of my heart as a dharmic person, doesn't it? Right? Now, but here I am, I'm fairly emotionally immature because I'm moved by what they call binding desires. Swami Dayananda calls them binding desires, right? I've got demands to be treated well. I've got demands to be emotional demands to, you know, all sorts of things, right? And when they're not met, I get very strongly emotional because these demands are ideas I have of happiness, that I'm successful, that I'm outstanding, that I'm loved, that I'm, you know, the whole lot. there's lots of them. So what happens is once I, once I see, okay, the problem is, is that when I act in an unloving or unkind way, I'm unknowingly building disturbance in myself because my actions contradict the, 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 the tendencies of my heart, the dharmic heart. Do you understand? So then I become ruptured in myself. I become ruptured in myself, and I also come into conflict with other people around me. Have you noticed that? So... What Swami Dayananda says is, okay, when you begin this, there is friction. But it doesn't last forever. It's friction. He says, you've got to fake it till you make it. But you, you're not going to face it. You're not going to fake it till you make it unless you've really come to the understanding with your awareness and discrimination. Okay, I may not know how to live uh, without being overwhelmed emotionally but i'm got what i'm going to make sure that i do is i am not going to even if i feel like it say unkind words or i'm not going to attack in any form i'm, I'm not going to let myself off the hook i'm not going to be hostile no matter how i feel now when a person starts doing this because i see this all the time they find it hard and and they fall away and they and and as soon as you really realize that living happily cooperatively and kindly with other people, which doesn't mean being a wimp. Dayananda wasn't a wimp. He was a very beautiful man. He was kind, but he wasn't wimpy. So what happens is 
every time you conform your acts to dharma you start to grow a little bit does that make sense you start to be, you start to be moved more by it and have you sometimes been just simply moved to act kindly because it's spontaneous that's what dhyananda means by emotional growth you want to do what you need to do but this has he says the only way that this can happen it's self-initiated you first of all got to see the value of living a life of dharma and that means moment by moment living a life of dharma doesn't mean oh well i'm 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 a good person i don't screw around i don't get drunk i don't steal off people i'm not killing people so i'm a good guy i'm living a life that's not living a life of dharma i mean they're dharmic things but living a life of dharma is a moment by moment thing where i am remaining accepting of what's happening and i i'm acting in a caring way is it a hard discipline you bet your life it is however it bears fruit provided you commit yourself to it and you do it again and again now there's another thing which i won't deal with today there's another thing of how to resolve the emotional pain which i'm i'm going to go into next time do you know what i mean but i just but the fir- the very first thing that what swami dayananda says you've got no control over your actions i'm oh, sorry you've got no control over your reactions but you have got choice over action so emotional reactions come and go like the weather according to laws don't they they just they just happen but what you have got choice over is what you do so even if you feel angry at someone you can still act in relation to that person in a kind way can't you even if you don't feel like it but you will find if you fake it till you make it that's what he he said fake it till you make it do you see what i mean and i've seen this in clinical practice all the time do you know what i mean like you know like like young men who who are who justify hostility do you know what i mean who, who who talk harshly to their wife and they only if the only if the wife deserves it imagine thinking like that well i tell them that the wife never deserves it and it's always wrong right because when we act in a in an unkind way or an attacking way to another human being it's not helpful and it will even though it feels good it brings a, it it creates this rupture between our dharmic heart which is our real heart by the way not our psychology our psychology isn't our real heart you know our desire for power and being outstanding and acceptance and all that stuff that's not really from our real heart does that make sense that's been built into us so the 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 living from our dharmic heart does that make sense for dayananda was the key to happiness does that somehow answer a little bit so when i convince myself that uh, while well, buying this makes me feel good or getting a pedicure makes me feel good yeah um i'm faking self love or self worth in a way and again yeah. very thin line between the superiority complex and yeah. self worth well, well no no get the no, get the no, you you're not making no, no no it's not quite right when you have a pity you know when you do your hair up and stuff and you feel better that's totally okay it's not swami dayananda is not even denying that because first of all if you have a reaction of that you're happy with how how, you, how your hair looks and all of that stuff right that's just simply feeling happy about your hair but it's not interfering with you seeing clearly what needs to be done and 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 doing it does it it's not a dharmic issue is it 
but experientially the yeah. day i bought my own car new car i actually felt very nice i never thought i would be so attached to material things yeah yeah but yeah, when yeah, I, yeah, right. yeah but but again you don't you there's nothing wrong with enjoying a car the, the, this is the difference i love driving this car i find it very pleasant i'm enjoying this car right but now i've got a car therefore i'm special i'm better than other people that's when it starts to get delusional because you're then using it to fortify yourself right there's a difference so enjoyment is for swami dayananda he says i'd like to give you as many desires as possible because remember what the lord krishna says i'm in the form of every dharmic desire so if it's not harming yourself or harming others there's no problem do, do you see what i mean pleasure keeps us in good humor right it's not happiness but it's not he didn't agree with denying it on as a spiritual basis when you say fake it till you make it i believe that's more of a westernized approach we call it be you know start to get conscious you know to get conscious you really need to practice it uh so you know start paying attention be conscious of it. it doesn't come in one day you really need to practice it till the time you perfect Con it. you have to consciously and deliberately practice dharma absolutely now, right. now, now transformation may come from god but reformation is our job our job we reform not ourselves we reform our conduct so reformation is very very important we don't kind of oh i'll leave it up to god no it's true that we'll go into that transformation comes from god but reform ref, reforming our conduct improving our conduct that's our job we have got this tendency of presenting it as our thought or our discovery without actually naming the source uh thievery thievery plagiarism thievery and also an absolute lack of humility because i so that the Swami Dayananda has this beautiful saying everything is given. Right? I didn't learn this. If I hadn't if I hadn't met this beautiful human being, I wouldn't be understanding what I understand today. So the next question would be a fundamental religious and political question, which is that when you talk about higher consciousness, uh and when you are talking to people do you ever see a conflict between uh what you are telling them and what the religion says any religion for that matter because when you say higher consciousness we are talking about uh find that inner self and then try and connect it with the cosmos right well now well when it, i don't that, use the i don't use the term higher consciousness um however you can say that living a dharmic life right when you look at living a you know if you look at all the major religions in the world they all have this ethical dimension when i am being loving or being accepting can you see how that as as a way of being in the world can you see how that's universal when you're in an accepting way of being in the world you know how swami dayananda says graceful acceptance is born out of our understanding of god so basically it's god being present in you as your way of being which is a wonderful thing okay that's a wonderful thing because then it's not me and god it's i'm actually god is present 
in my life as this very accepting. When you, you when you fall away from this, you become to that degree unloving and out of harmony. Would you say that's true? That is a universal way of being, isn't it? That transcends all culture, doesn't it? We all understand what that means. Do you know what I mean? Um, when I am being caring, and Swami Dayananda was very loving and very caring. That's why I believe he was truly wise. Does that make sense? That Because if someone's so-called scholastically smart, and there's a lot, lot who are very, 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 very clever intellectually, but if they are devoid of this quality of acceptance and caring, that's, that's what is universally, uh, that's the universal solution, actually, because if you look at all the trouble in the world, when you cease to be caring, you become indifferent and ruthless. When you cease to become be loving, you become unkind and hostile. So the, 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 the problem of the world is an absence of this dharmic movement in the heart of man. Does that make sense? So when that is recovered, that is, that is the true religion. Other religions may express it differently because I'm not, I'm not a, I don't think that God is what God only expressed himself in India. I can't believe that. Do you mean? But the thing is that what's why, why Swami Dayananda was such an outstanding light was the way he unfolded it and the, and the clarity with which he did. So, uh, and so that, that is the truly the universal thing is a way of being in the world which is loving. Now we have a in our Western scriptures we have a beautiful saying. Do you mind if I said tell you it? Tell you it. It is God is love. Those who are abiding in love are abiding in God, and God is abiding in them. Okay, so when that is occurring, that is truly universal. Can you see that? I might have different formulations or religious ideas, but the but when I'm living in harmony with the people around me, and my way of relating is loving, and I'm caring, that is universal. And that's what Swami Nayananda, I think that you Hindus use the word Sanata Dharma or something, some, some term like that. Right. And as you said, India is the only place where, uh, I hope the God was not discovered. I believe India is the only place where we are still searching for him. Rest, everyone well, the, has found him. Yeah, yes. The thing is, your culture has a religious culture so that the thing is that we all seek God. We can't help but seek God. When I'm talking next, I'm going to going to go unfold how Swami Dayananda opened my eyes to the very presence of God, right? Because that was very useful because that changed me as a, <laughs> a person. So, but, but you're right. But the fact of the matter is because you have a sense you Indians, I don't, one thing I did notice, you, you people as a general population that I met, you have a sense of the sacred that we don't have in the West. We're devoid of that. Do you know what I mean? But your, your, you know, your religious liturgies and, you know, the, the temple things and the music and all, there's a sense of something that even though I don't understand it, I can appreciate its impulse. Does that make sense? Uh, I've been married for 20 years and, and I think before I got married, I consciously made a decision that I will be happily henpecked. And I have... And you'll be happily what? Henpecked. Oh, Let happily henpecked. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
happily handbagged. That's that's yeah. how I myself, and I have been happy ever since. Very good. <laughs> Swami Swami Dayananda says that we free when we when we the way to be have be free from other people is to completely allow them to be as they are. <laughs> Great. So so my question really, uh, you know, in terms of yep. psychological freedom. Uh, mm -hmm did touch upon it a little bit i want to yeah. go back to it what how did swami dayanand describe uh, a state of absolute happiness uh, a state of peace when is one in that state okay so can we what we're going to do because i deal with his psychology we're going to deal with the relative state of happiness which is a reflection of the absolute is that all right that's right because Thank you. i i don't know what freedom is in it i don't know god in it. To use a Kantian term, I don't know God in itself. But Swami Dayananda unfolded a God as, as manifest in the, as, as this universe, which can come into the range of our cognition. So what he, what he, he had a brilliant, uh, he, an absolutely brilliant thing. He had an understanding of, you know, when you, you know when I'm looking at a snake instead of a rope? What's happened is I've got a notion in my head, an idea that's been projected as experience. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm looking at reality, aren't I? But really what's happened is I've got a mind, I've got an idea in my head that I've projected and I think I'm looking at reality. I think I'm alive to facts, right? But in actual fact, I'm caught up in what he calls my own world. He says, this is subjectivity. And subjectivity is because I'm seeing it, it's there. Okay, because, so it's that the problem is centered on me. I'm living in my own world, thinking I'm, I'm seeing reality and thinking I'm alive to facts, but I'm not. And he was asked once, he said, what's the, Swamiji, what's the meaning of life? Classic question, right? Between the guru and the... He said, well, obviously the meaning of life is to live, but he says, but what do we mean by living? He says, you're only living when you're alive to facts. Isn't that interesting? So that means what's important is me being alive to facts. So it, that's why when I say, you know, my wife says something I don't like, and I also have, I'm aware, I'm alive to the fact of what she says. I'm also alive to my reactions because what I need to be is alive to what's happening. Without this whole thing of, oh, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be annoyed. I should be nice and peaceful. No, it's, I just got to be alive to facts. The only thing I've got control over. So, and then he said what objectivity is, right? What he says what objectivity is. He says, because it's there, you're seeing it, right? Because it's there. Now, can we just do a little experiment here? What I want you to do is just simply go quiet. Just do this now. Just come back to yourself. Just simply go quiet and just let the presence, the very presence of what's here, the thoughts, the sounds or whatever, just let them, let them, the very presence of the given come in and take up all the room, whatever the form that given is in. Can we just do that for just, for just 20 seconds? Can we just do that? So you're just going to let whatever's here be here. Go. Now you notice you, you, straight away there's a sense of composure isn't there now i'm going to go into this next week but for swami dayananda like you know you know he, he talked about a clay pot and a clay have you heard that thing about the clay pot and the clay 
Okay, so when you're looking at a clay pot, you're looking at the presence of clay in the form of a pot, aren't you? But the reality, the, the reality of that form is clay, isn't it? So he believed the way he unfolded God was the very presence of the given, the form that this present experience is in, is reality, is the presence of the giver, is God, the presence of God. So God, the presence of God is not away from any aspect of your experience. And did you notice that when you are filled simply with the living presence of the given, which for Dayananda is the living presence of God, you changed a little bit, didn't you? You, went, you felt quiet, you felt composed, you weren't being determined by the coming and going of appearances, were you? But did you notice you felt more at home? Now this... When you are like this, when you're what he calls resting in the lap of Ishvara, he talks about being relaxed in the lap, lap of Ishvara. When you are being that, you are psychologically free because you're alive to the present. You're, not, you're no longer being dominated by thoughts of the past. I'm going to go into more of this next week, but is that, does that help answer your question? Because... It, the thing, the thing, what Swami Dayananda, another important thing he, he said that with Vedanta, it's a journey without distance. So Vedanta starts right here, right now, as I am, and ends right here, right now, as I am. So, so instead of freedom in a future event, if, if right here, right now, as I am, I am filled with the presence of reality, I will find myself transformed psychologically. Does that mean it's a very practical thing? Sure. So it's it's like uh, enjoying and living in the present moment, without trying to live in the present moment, because it's not like Buddhism. It's once you understand what he means by God, it's an understanding you live as opposed to try and practice. You you know the light of awareness that revealed the the sounds and the thoughts. That light is abidingly present, actually, isn't it? Kaba, right? right? That's right. The so that's so you don't you can't do that light of awareness, but you can definitely rest quietly in it, can't you? Right, right. Right. So I'll be going on. I'll be going into that. But so I just wanted to not separate it out from this mindfulness business that everyone's into, which I find rather um, whatever. Thank you very much. So the first question is, uh, you know, at the philosophical level, where. Uh, Maybe I didn't hear you right, but I don't see much of a difference between what you said and the old idea of stoicism and, uh, you know, ideas of Viktor Frankl, like, uh, you know, the ability to react to circumstances, the last of human freedoms. So, I mean, where does this uh, Vedantic no, 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 psychology no, no, differ? No, no, big, big difference. Now, Stoicism, as by the way, Stoicism as understood, I'm not talking about Stoicism as what they really thought, right? Let's just say that, as, that we become indifferent to what's happening, right? Now, first of all, can we just handle that one? What, what, let's imagine that, so we have to understand what Swami Dayananda means by dispassion, right? Let's say that I have an inordinate need to be, to be liked and admired. So I meet you. And you say, Bede, I think you're a bit of an idiot. Right? And I go, oh, now, I have this desire or a passion for, for a certain type of experience of being liked and admired. You're familiar with that, that type? Have you seen that sort of thing in operation with people? It's quite a common one, isn't it? 
do I yeah, yeah, some people myself? crave acceptance. We can see that type. Right. No problem. Now, now, that's what Swami Dayananda calls a binding desire. So I've got a passion for a certain type of experience because Swami Dayananda says that the basic problem with human beings is a tremendous fear, a pervasive fear. Because we're cut off from reality, we can't help but feel isolated and fearful. And also we're identified with the mind sense body complex and we can be destroyed anytime, right? So there's always fear and also there's always self-dissatisfaction. I hate being what I'm like, right? Now, then what happens is I find that by having the experience of being liked and admired, I feel a relief from that terrible fear and self-hatred. So I become emotionally dependent upon that for my happiness. Does that make sense? Okay, just nod your head, that's fine. Now, then what happens is I meet you. I meet you and then you say something I don't like. You don't give me the admiration or respect that I'm desiring. And then suddenly I'm thrown back on the pain that gave impetus or strength to that binding desire. Are you with me? Now, what Swami Dayananda's Karma Yoga does is that here I am. What's happened is suddenly I'm thrown back on, on the feeling of self-dissatisfaction and fear, right? If I can resolve that fear, which he calls resolution of ego into Ishvara, what happens is the binding desire, the passion for the world, uh, is neutralized. Does that make sense? Now, so we're not we're not trying to make ourselves indifferent to the world. Swami Dayananda was extremely clear on this. If I'm alive to facts, I'm going to be alive to every aspect of my life. My frustrations, my annoyance, my anger, my loneliness. It's very necessary because I need... When I'm upset and lonely and, and whatever, I need to be able to come to God just simply as that, place myself in his hands and let the action of God's presence work on that. Does that make sense? I can't resolve that. So that's not stoicism. Does that make sense? It's not because he says there's no karma yoga without Ishvara. Do you, are you familiar with the, Ishvara, the word Ishvara? That, that, okay. so, so, that, so in terms of stoicism, it's not that. Secondly, Viktor Frankl, wonderful man, by the way. I, I like Viktor Frankl, right? But we're not dealing with that either because what we're looking at is that when Swami Dayananda talks about knowledge, he says that Vedanta is you. So when, when a new way, see, you have a certain way of looking at life, very familiar with you, how you look at yourself, how you look at others, how you look at the world. That's all based on past experience. When you look with fresh eyes, if you like, through the eyes of knowledge, in other words, when a, a new way of seeing opens up in you, you, you know how like, you know how the way you see is the way you be. So if you dislike me, your way of being and your way of being is a direct reflection of how you see me. You agree with that? So if you, if your way of seeing is transformed, particularly through the, uh, meeting someone like Swami Dayanand, who opens up a way of seeing 
that is entirely not based on the past, but based on awareness and discrimination. Because the way you see is the way you be, you are transformed. So this, what he talks about, when he talks about graceful acceptance, he means being gracefully accepting. And then living that, which, which comes from our understanding of God. And then you live that attitude, which is living the, living the wisdom of what is God, living the vision of God. So for Swami Dayananda, we're living an understanding of what God is. In other words, the very presence of the given is the presence of the giver. That's what it is fundamentally. But to appreciate that fact, there is a, there is a change in our being because the way we are seeing has changed. Does that make sense? Whereas yes, it does. Victor Frankl was more philosophical. I think some of the early Stoics actually were onto this, but that's my personal opinion. But, but generally speaking, what they mean by Stoicism is indifference, and Swami Dayananda was definitely not like that. What he, what he said was that, that acceptance is the basis for responsiveness. So when you're accepting, you're not reactive. You're not being reactive. When you be so, and that enables you to truly respond to what you need to respond to. Yeah. The second question is theological. Yeah. So you said that you know there is that some element of this God as an all-pervasive or a manifested uh, entity. The universe. The universe. Yeah. The universe um, in all religions. But uh, don't you think the prophetic monotheistic religions would view that as the sin of pantheism? No, no, because no. Well, the thing is, some of them do, but ir irrespective, iris the thing is that for my under my understand the Vedic vision of God is probably the most pure vision of God there is, and it's definitely not pantheistic because pantheism. See, Swami Dayananda says that the clay doesn't change its nature and become a pot. But the pot's existence is dependent on the clay. Pantheism says that God is nature. Do you, you know what I mean? Where Swami Dayananda says that everything is dependent, like the, the, the pot's being, the clay pot, the pot's being depends on clay, doesn't it? But clay doesn't depend on pot. The, the waves in the ocean, the, the rough waves depend on on water and so does the smooth waves right so the water doesn't become the waves but the waves rough or smooth depend upon water for their very existence so everything we're looking at depends upon god for its existence so when so what's how swami dayananda clarified it was that you can't know now eventually i think you can but i don't know what that's about to know God in itself would, would mean that the life and being that is God and the life and being that I am is one and the same. And the appreciation of that is, is, is the whole goal of Vedanta, right? But before that, he says, you can't go straight from being subjective to that. You have to come into relationship, into relationship with the presence of God as manifest like you know when we're doing with our friend just before about being quiet and just coming you know just coming to yourself and letting you know when when the presence of the given which is the presence of god 
like the clay pot is the presence of clay, we're always looking at reality in the form of tables, chairs, thoughts, feelings, sensations. But the very presence of everything we're looking at is God. Irrespective of how bad things look, the, the presence of God is not absent, which is a wonderful thing. So when we, when we, um, so that cognition of the presence of God is available to us as individuals, right? Now, Swami Dayananda would say that once we have, have, have practiced and established ourselves in what he called living in Ishvara's world instead of your own world, or not being subjective but being objective, you then can maybe, you know, like, with the right teacher or whatever, come to an appreciation that the very life, because you know, for you Hindus, the, I'll put it in, in, in plain English, you know, you use the word Satchitananda. If you look at what that means in English, life itself, life, it's being itself is uh, life. And also life is light, it illuminates. You know, this embracing light that's always here, that's revealing, abidingly present, and this fullness. So this light, Life and fullness is abidingly present. We may not cognize it, but it's abidingly present. When we appreciate that the very life, the very life and being we are, is the life and being that is God. That's the that's the full vision, right? That's that's the full vision. There is only God. Swami Dayananda called it, right? But we're talking about psychologically when we come into harmony with with Ishvara into relationship, we're transformed psychologically. Swami Dayananda thought that had to happen first before you go into that other one. Yeah, one practical the practical question I want to ask you is as a counselor, how do you know when you know you tell a person to work on their relationship or when you tell them to get out of it? And finally, a request uh, since you quoted Freud. I, I know that Freud wrote a big book called Moses and Monotheism. Maybe you yeah. could uh, talk about it from the viewpoint of Vedanta in a subsequent. I'm not that familiar with that particular work, but but what what um, what now as far as the counselling goes, right? Um, if I I, I cause Swami Dayananda says that all self growth is self initiated. I can't tell anybody anything. Now I can help them examine their values and and and. Let's say, for example, I think that cracking onto woman is 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 the is the good, and that's my purpose in life, right? Uh, the thing is, I can then get that person to examine that value to see, well, does it bring you happiness or whatever? You know, like you know, what, you know, does it hurt people, harm, all of this sort of stuff, right? Unless, if I cannot, if I can't, if I can't uh, talk to to the simple conscious person whose whose dharmic heart is there if you like does that make sense and i cannot if they don't arrive at a point well this is what is truly good a harmonious life with other people not harming them and all of that stuff i can't help them and i wouldn't even try but given given that through discussion and examining what is truly good as opposed to what might appear to be good right you know what I mean? I can then do something. I can support them in what they're really willing, what, what they really want in their heart, as opposed to what they may be dominated by. Does that make sense? 
but I would never make a decision for someone. I, I, will, I will just get them, because I know that when they start living a dharmic life and seeing everything in the light of dharma, not in the light of their desires, but dharma, then that, that, that'll, that'll develop and there'll be natural consequences to that. Does that make sense? I disagree. I disagree with a lot of count, counseling theory and, and psychological theory in the West. I, I disagree with the fact that they split it off from ethics. Do, do you see what I mean? I think that's a big problem. And also, there's no understanding of the relationship between a person's psychological well-being and their understanding of God. Because within the Christian context, you, you, we have such a barbaric history done in the name of the Prince of Peace. You know, <laughs> we have to, we've got some terrible things that have happened in the name of religion. Yes, sir. So my question is, uh, we have seen in the past time that bhakti. Uh, in the name of chanting is used to gain consciousness whereas Vedanta says uh, you have preferred karma bhakti uh, this all should be included to get the get the higher consciousness uh, consciousness so what are your views on it because it's very in trend today I'll answer this in two ways there was there was a man at the temple right now I'm not a Hindu right so, but first of all, bhakti, from, from Swami Dayananda's point of view, at every moment I'm facing the presence of God in the form of a fact to be gracefully accepted and the presence of God in the form of a duty to be done. Right? So that's the universal teaching. That can apply to every, every culture. Agreed? You know what I mean? That can apply to people like me who are not Hindu. Right? Now, there was a man, there was a man... Um, who after temple used to, he had lost his son, but he was living at the ashram and he would sit and he would chant, right? Now, I didn't necessarily understand what he's chanting because I don't know Hindi, I don't know any of this stuff, right? However, he was giving form to his love of God. Does that make sense? Do you, do you mean he was giving form to the love of God? And there was a special quality about this man. Do you know what I mean? I can't explain it. I don't, because I'm not Hindu, but he was engaging in traditional forms, Hindu form of worship, right? That is not available to me because I don't I don't know Sanskrit and you know I I, I don't I don't understand it. However, is that all of these have a place? Give give because any anything that turns us to the presence of God does that make sense? is what's important so when i'm living that understanding that you know that i'm living that understanding of my appreciation of the love of god does that make sense that transforms me psychologically what swami dayananda says is that by acting devotional that actually evokes an attitude in me right and what he called the attitude was he called it a prayerful attitude in other words it's a way of being in the world where you understand everything is given and also aware of the presence of the giver. So he, uh, of course, Swami Dayananda guided Hindus in their, uh, in their Hindu traditions. Do you know what I mean? I was a Westerner, so it, you know, it's a, it, a little bit different. But it's not you know, like chanting the name is very important. 
Does that make sense? Because that's your that's your particular culture. Does that make sense? But it's still in the same. It's still in the in the context of the same vision of God, that everything here, there is only God. Swami Dayananda had a saying: Is there one God or is there many gods? He said, No. He says there is only God, and that's the Vedic vision. Uh, thank you, sir, for such a wonderful um, talk. So I have a very simple question. Um, sometimes we we are caught in a situation where we uh, tend to make compromises for um, uh, for our loved ones, and uh, sometimes that uh, compromising thing becomes a habit, and we belied our own personal happiness happiness in that. So, for example, uh, my parents, for example, would want me to um, come along with them to a religious place during my vacations. However, I have a very um, well planned um you know outing planned with um, friends during the same time so if i have to choose between the uh sometimes i tend to make compromises for the happiness of my parents but you have in one sense you've got a situation where you need to um you know be with your family and the parents and stuff like that but you've also on the other hand you've got you want to do certain things with your friends is that what have i did i get that right that's what i meant Okay. So, um, where does the freedom lies? I mean, um, how do we face such uh, dilemmas or situations? Like, should we put our self-interest first, or should we go ahead with? Right now, again, now what Swami Dayananda says is that you see, first of all, we have to get over this idea that people make us unhappy or not unhappy. The problem is centered on us. So, if I'm unhappy. The center of the pro it problem exists with my way of being, doesn't it? So any form of unhappiness is a way of being. What Swami Dayananda calls it, the problem is located with you. So the only solution is the location is with me as well, right? So there is that, there is that. But given, because we, we function and live with other people, right? We've got our functional life. Is that true? We've got our functional life. And in our Western scriptures, we have a saying, we have to render to God what's God's, and we've got to render to Caesar what's Caesar's. In other words, we, we have to deal with the world and the world of function and things like that. So when it's a question of uh, we, we need to, when we talk to people, often what happens when we talk, uh, when there's a contentious issue, we can lose our temper and we can be unkind. Do you, have you noticed that? We need to be able to talk without getting caught up in reaction. So we can, we can, um, we can present a thing of okay, I want to be with the family here, but I also want to do that. So that you know, do you understand what I mean? You, th there's no necessity for you to forego um, uh, what you want to do, if you know what I mean. Like it's not. Self-sacrifice, Dharma is not self-sacrifice. You have to take care of others and you have to take care of yourself and, and, you, and you must be very mindful not to act unjustly. But sometimes pe people or parents can make un unreasonable demands. That's also true. So it's a question of, of working out what is happening. But 
but in the manner of what hap what really counts is the manner in which you communicate it does that make sense and so you can sometimes yeah. like you can find you can negotiate you can say look i need to talk about something i've been wanting to talk about it. i don't know how do you mind if i talk to you about something that concerns me that i'm a bit unhappy about i love you guys i want i want to get on with you but i want it i want to be able to I want to be able to talk to you about something so I can live happily with you, but also live happily with myself. Would you mind that? So you can get agreement. So that there's not, do you understand what I mean? Like you'll, you will find that if you can remain kind and not uptight, you'll tend to use the right words. But as soon as you become full of ill will or resistance, what you say will not, will not work. You'll, you'll, you'll mess it up. Does that make sense? there's nothing wrong with wanting to associate with friends and do things with friends do you see what i mean now again i'm from a different culture than you we have the other way we don't we don't we we go the other way where we don't care about our family or traditions in a sense we just do our own thing which is which is even a, it's also a problem does that make sense like we we we, we need to do what is kind and loving and 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 we because we do have a duty to our parents right it's a question of how far does that duty go does that make sense so if i was to go oh, okay i'm just going to do my own thing stuff them that's a problem do you know what i mean that's that one extreme the other extreme is i'll do exactly what they say that's also a problem because that'll produce resentment and all that stuff so there has to be that balance and only you can find that. But the first thing, the basis of coming to that balance is the manner in which you talk. And if, if you, you'll find you can get away with murder if you talk to your parents from a kind place, you will. Does that make sense? It'll melt them. Does that make sense? But if you get into a fight, you, you know, you know, that gets, you can see that that doesn't help, does it? it you, you've got conflict. Is it, have you ever seen that happen? Uh, yes. Um, in fact, even if I choose to, or even if I convince them to um, to allow me to go for the trip, rather, then there is a sense of you know dissatisfaction within myself. Even if I'm happier going to a, a vacation with my friends, but I'm still dissatisfied with the fact that I wasn't being able to uh, consider my parents' request at the same well, time. But but yes. but but even though your parents have given you permission, or they said uh, they said it's okay. Uh, because they, they they do so for my my happiness and i'm conscious about that fact and that okay. makes me even sadder yeah well there's a difference between we, we, we all have a problem with self-condemnation right we, we every every human being you know has a problem with self-condemnation and so what happens sometimes is that we don't give ourselves a break does that make sense? We don't, we're not very self-accepting. So we tend to find fault with ourselves, right? But some, oh, sometimes, sometimes we can be a little bit too scrupulous. Does that make sense? Like we, you know, the fact of the matter is when you're having friends with your, when we're in life, there's always an upside and a downside. So when I'm spending time with my wife, I can't be reading books that I like. <laughs> When I'm spending reading books in my life, I can't spend time with my wife. So every everything I do has two sides. Would you agree with that? Yes. So you, so you're never going to be. You can recognise the downside, provide provided 
if you have a loving relationship with your parents and you're loving and supporting when you're with them, but you've also got your own life and you live that too, there's no injustice, is there? You're not harming them. Yes, that makes sense. Now that is, so you look at it from the point of view of justice or dharma. Do you know what I mean? So you make sure you don't harm them. Does it make sense? So if you made an appointment with them and then you didn't, you just disregarded it, that would be harming them. But if you've talked to them and they understand that they've got their life, you've got your life, they're still part of your life, but nowhere near like you were when you're a little child. When you're a little child, your parents give, are the source of your security and pleasure. So you're very, very bound by them. When you grow up, that's not going to happen. They're, not, they, you, they're no longer the source of your security and pleasure. Do you know what I mean? Now, you have duties to them. Does that make sense? But you don't have the duty of self-sacrifice. But even the, And also, if you have the feelings of, you can just go, yes, I'm with my friends. I'm having a reaction of guilt. Just, but, but, but it doesn't, you don't have to get upset about it. You just go, okay, I'm having a reaction of guilt. Because if you know that you're not acting unjustly and wrongly, it's totally okay. Irrespective of how you feel. Feelings come and go, Shruti. They just come and go. They're not reliable. We listen to the voice of Dharma. We don't listen to our feelings. And, and the feelings in Dharma are the feeling of acceptance and kindness and the feeling of wanting to take care and concern, isn't it? They're the two real feelings that human beings have. These other feelings are not that real. They come and go. They can often determine us, which is a problem. But we'll kind of get, we'll we'll go more into that when when we talk next time.